0: hey guys i know this podcast is coming to you at a pretty incredible time in the world nothing that any of us have ever experienced in order to hopefully keep you entertained and keep you educated we have an episode for you today we recorded it live and in person before the quarantine don't worry but it's with james pratt so james pratt owns pratt performance in Martinsville, New Jersey, housed within Test Sports Club. And he is actually my trainer and my wife's trainer and my dad's trainer and my friend's trainer. So I obviously trust James. He's runs a great business. He's a great technical coach. And I think that there's a lot here for all of us to understand, especially during this time. There's a lot of people that believe once this pandemic is over, that there is going to be a huge health boom, because we're all so worried about our health right now. So I think it's actually a great podcast for you guys to listen to now, hopefully in about a few weeks or maybe a few months when life gets back to normal that we all take our health more serious. This is the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast aimed at helping you live an active and healthy life in and around Somerset and Union County, New Jersey. This podcast is brought to you by Strive to Move, located in Warren and Berkeley Heights. Strive to Move helps active adults in New Jersey get back to doing what they love, pain-free. James, how are you doing today?
1: Good. How are you doing? Thanks Um, for having me on. Appreciate
0: it. First time?
1: Yeah. First ever podcast for me. We're
0: getting a lot of newbies on, so don't
1: worry. Don't be scared. Good. I'm good to go. Whatever. Grill me. Everything. I prepared. I've been studying for hours.
0: How much caffeine did you have before we started? Too much, All like right. every other day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you got your Starbucks over there if you need a little boost yes, halfway yes. through? Yes. I offered for the whole office, but I just, I'll just i drink it for the whole office <laughs> instead.
0: So tell the audience a little bit about you, where you came from, and, and how you got here.
1: Yeah. So I'm a trainer that, I, that started a training business um, almost four years ago. Um, and if I go back in time to middle school... Um, I guess what sparked the interest in something like this is that I was incredibly overweight uh, as a child. Um, I remember being in fifth grade and being 220 pounds, and I remember being about 240 pounds in seventh grade. Um, these were pretty astronomical numbers. I was like 5'9", five, 5'10", five, um, and I remember always being recruited uh, by football coaches. They're like, "Dude, you're going to be great at football one day. You got the size for it." And I remember like thinking of that as a compliment at the time. But now that I look back, It's just pretty much I was, I probably made a uh, good looking nose guard um, from what they were seeing. Um, So I started getting into working out and like, if I think back to like some of the things I tell my clients now, I was like such an extremist. I would like not eat for two days and like work out for hours and I would like in seventh grade and I would lose like eight pounds in two days and then I would go back to doing the same thing over again, but I just didn't know yet what like an appropriate approach would be to actually losing weight. Um, so in seventh grade uh for my birthday my dad got me a bench press set in my garage uh the first ever prep performance systems <laughs> and uh in there like a bunch of my friends would come over and i would like be the trainer and like i got a bunch of different exercises from a bunch of different muscle groups like typical bodybuilding style and like we bench pressed and we did preacher curls and we did sit-ups and that was like 90 percent of it right there um And then over time, like, you learn some more information as I'm, like, getting into the field a little bit, learning how to eat better, learning how to train better, train more consistently. And then, um, you know, I started, you know, doing a little bit better in sports because I wasn't so overweight uh, as it relates to basketball and football in high school. Um, And then, you know, after that, I went to college and uh, I played a year at Bryant University and then transferred to Kane. Uh, played three years there, and I was originally going to be a phys ed major, and I had a personal training certification at 19. Uh, my first gig was ballet total fitness, if anybody remembers that. Uh, trained there for a short period of time and then started working at a Precy speed school, and that was my part-time job throughout college. Um, switched to exercise science. Uh, Dr. Anzell um, was my advisor. The doc. Yeah, the doc. And he mentioned to me, he's like, you know, you could make a career out of this if you wanted to. And how I saw the fitness industry at that point in time was that you were a personal trainer in a commercial gym, uh, which was my part-time job in high school. I worked uh, reception at a gym called Pure Focus in Bricktown. And um, it was essentially a bodybuilding gym. Um, where the trainers prided themselves on being all natural bodybuilders, and they trained people one hour at a time. And I watched what they would do, and I'd be like, "That's what I want to do one day." Uh, to the point that the Bryant, re- the Bryant recruiting coach, uh, came in and asked me what I want to do for my career, and I said I want to be a trainer. And he kind of laughed at me, and like Bryant was is a well-established business school, and he's like, "No, you want to be the owner of a gym, uh, and you want to have trainers underneath you." And I remember like agreeing with him, but. Internally, not at all. Like, yeah. No, I want to train people. I just want to be a personal trainer and tell people to like do the leg press. Um, but over time, uh, that obviously changed. And Doc Anzel was telling me, you can make a career out of this. Let me send you to some facilities and, um, you know, I'll give you some options of places that you might like, especially if you're interested in sports performance. And the first stop was Gabriel Fitness, which I have to give a lot of credit to Vince. Uh, when I first came in there, I was there for 40 hours. Only 40 hour internship. And I left there with my mind blown. And I was like, I had no idea that like this type of place existed. Um, And the information I got from Vince and from Tom, um, you know, back in the day was just completely changed my career. What was it there
0: that was interesting? Was it that it was a business or the training they were doing? What was it that got you?
1: Yeah. I remember when Vince first kind of pointed out to me that he had a career oriented gym where they had like a lunch room and trainers worked the morning and then would like go to the kitchen and have lunch and then they would have a meeting and i was like this is insane this is absolutely nuts
0: because i because people that don't know most likely are people that do trainers what's their life like like an average trainer versus that what is yeah. it normal? so
1: i i viewed it as this is a secondary job um and i'm gonna after i'm done doing phys ed being a teacher I'm going to go and train a couple people after school every day or maybe on the weekends. Um, And that was really my career path at the time. And I was kind of excited to do something like that. But once I saw um, the way Vince's uh, business was laid out, I was like, this is something I'm definitely interested in in pursuing. Um, And he also ran the semi-private model, which uh, I'm assuming at some point we'll talk about. Um, But that was also very intriguing Uh, after Vince... After interning uh, at Gabriel's, then I interned at Test Sports Clubs uh, right over here in Martinsville. And um, I became a Test employee thereafter, uh, did personal training uh, for the most part, probably about 80% athletes, 20% general population. And after doing that for about four years, uh, I was fortunate enough to have completely full books for probably a a two-year time frame.
0: And your full books are, are legendary? how many people would that be a week yeah
1: so i would i would typically do i remember mentioning this in a presentation once uh, i don't remember the exact number annually but i the average was 47 sessions per week
0: and they're one hour sessions one hour sessions one on yeah. One, yeah.
1: yeah mostly and I, at the time like you you look back now and like that sounds kind of crazy but i really didn't do much else besides prepare for the training sessions and do the doing the training sessions now, if you told me I had to train for 47 hours, it wouldn't be possible Yeah, uh, with other responsibilities now. But at the time, all I cared about was training people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when you're in your mid-20s, uh, mid to late 20s, and you start to, like, revolve your life around that, but you still have, like, a little bit of a social life at the time. Yeah. It doesn't exist now anymore, being 31. Um, but at the time, you're training people. And, like, if you go see your friends on the weekend, coming back on Saturday uh, to make sure you're there for your sessions. If you go out Saturday night with your friends, coming back on Sunday to make sure you're there for your sessions. Um, But yeah, it it was definitely an interesting lifestyle, um, at which I didn't know what the next step was at the time. And then that day kind of hit me where, you know, you have to make a decision of, are you going to continue doing personal training? And then uh, are you going to charge people more money if you want to grow financially? Or... Are you going to figure out something else that you want to do, or are you just going to leave the industry?
0: Yeah, which I think a lot of trainers get to, and we're still at a point, from a training, strength and conditioning perspective, that it's still kind of touch and go. It's 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 unique to be able to make an actual career out of it. Most people do, like I, I'm sure the percentage is extremely high of people that come and go. Yeah. Right. Right? Oh so, yeah. So Doc Anzel was not lying when he said you can make it a career out of it, but it's also not like. Working as an accountant. Yeah, hundred percent.
1: Yeah, and it, you see a lot of people. I think back to some of the some of the other students that I was with in, in that class that you know I see post on Instagram now, and they're not in the industry anymore, and the turnover rate is insane. And you really have to make your mark up front to even have the confidence to try to go forward with it. Um, you know, but it's it's definitely not like a, a job where you walk in and you're guaranteed X salary and you work your nine to five and then you're done. Yeah. Um, but if you are passionate about it, um, it's definitely something that you could make a career out of. Uh, and that's kind of what we're trying to do now with our staff.
0: So talk, take me back to you were doing about 50 hours a week, one-on-one. And how did you get from that to prep Performance Systems where that's semi-private? Talk to me about... Was it, it had to be challenging to go from saying I'm doing one on one to moving into a different, totally different model? So how did you how did you approach that? And we'll get into more of the details of what you're doing now. But I mean, you were booked solid, and so how did what happened that made you transition to do what you're doing now?
1: Yeah. So at the time, I had a lot of confidence that I could make the model work uh, financially. Like I, I ran some numbers, and essentially, you know. At the end of the day, if you could double up the amount of clients you have and you, if you are to switch to a semi-private model, um, it would make sense. So uh, I wanted to get out of the one-on-one scene. Um, and then, but I just didn't know, you know, which route I wanted to go yet. Do I want to go large group training? Um, do I want to start uh, coupling people up, which is something I was trying to do at the, at the time. I was charging people like 20% less if they like go two to one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was like that just doesn't seem to make a ton of sense and like some people were turned off by it looking into the semi-private model looking back to it and, and how it was run at gabriel fitness i was like i liked how they had the programs i don't want to i don't want to decrease the uh the product um i don't want to change the fact that we program people the way we do a one-on-one or what a workout would look like i don't necessarily want to have a one one workout and we all do that type of scenario. Um, looked into Alan Cosgrove, uh, the owner of Results Fitness out in California, and I'd listened to him present a few times at the Perform Better seminars, and I was like, this makes more sense than anything by far. So, it was an easy, easy sell to clients that were doing personal training at the time. Why? You're paying X amount of dollars per hour right now. Yeah. Instead of that, you're going to pay X amount of dollars per month. We chose to offer membership. and you can come X amount of days per week. Sure. So clients that were paying $100 an hour, um, one, weren't necessarily coming that frequently to the gym. Uh, we ran an attendance analysis, and our cl- my clients at the time were averaging 1.5 days of training per week. And it, it's hard to uh, be upset about that because of the price point of personal training. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, they were paying $150 a week on average. Um, and you know it's hard as a personal trainer to get the results that you want clients to have if they're attending less than two days per week so uh in trying to solve multiple problems how do you get a client to come to the gym more frequently um not sacrifice their programming um uh, and get them to come more frequently you know
0: yeah so i think that this is the, so this is where most people when they ask me like where i work out or where i train or what i do you know it's hard to the model where you and I, it's second nature, the model that you follow and how valuable it is. There are people out there in the public that I want for them to understand that most people think they either going to go to a global gym and pay very little money and kind of do their thing, which you and I both know. And, you know, we've been to gyms where we just see people not really, they're kind of wasting their time and you feel bad. I feel bad because they're spending the time doing it, but they don't know what they're doing. The, the other end of that is the one-on-one personal training, where to your point, it's one-on-one. So it's pretty expensive. And it's good because you're getting one-on-one attention. But the problem is you generally don't do it frequent enough in order to get the results you want. And then from a a trainer perspective, you're limited on also career-wise what you can make in that hour session. And so the semi-private or small group versus the large group fitness model you know something where like a CrossFit where you know there's 20 people in a class and generally everyone's doing the same program with some modifications where so yours is basically in the middle between it's between personal training and large group and it's called you know semi-private or small group personal training people have different names for it and now what I think is great is number one you're sol like you said solving multiple problems the client can come three days a week in your sessions, right? So they can train three days a week. They still get their own programming that's right for them so that if me and Hannah and my dad were all in the same group, we're, we have different bodies, different needs, we're not doing the same thing. And then third, you benefit, because now your prices are at a point where it's actually more affordable for me as a client, but net, net, we're going to be paying more and you can see more at once. So it seems like it's, it literally It's a win for everybody.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And at some point, you know, we've talked about and considered things like adding uh, a larger group exercise portion to the business uh, or adding more personal training. But it almost always comes back to, you know what, like this is probably best for everybody. Um, And uh, from a product standpoint, we definitely believe that uh, the alternatives uh, of thinking of large group exercises more so with people who have the uh, financial thought process of fitness shouldn't cost more than X. Yeah, And we get that a decent amount from clients who come in from uh, a large group training type facility and they want to compare our prices, but we don't have the same product.
0: Right. It's very, very different. And like I said, I, you know, we have a lot of colleagues and friends in the fitness industry and I still maintain that um, this is, this is the the ideal model for everyone. And, and truthfully, as, as I kind of joke with trainers and people like you, and they laugh, but you guys really should be what I consider primary care. Like, you know, most people go to their doctor when they're sick, but if they're doing the right stuff in the gym, they have a program that actually works for them. They're getting their range of motion. They're getting their mobility. They're staying strong. It's the best thing that anyone can do so that they don't screw themselves up. You know, so you guys have that ability, and I still think it's pretty new. Um, out there even in 2020 that most people aren't even aware of it and they're either doing their own thing in the gym or maybe they take some classes but talk about something that i think about for you which again it's a skill set that people don't even understand is writing programs and i found you to be like top notch at program writing i think you like doing it i think you're creative and i think you have that mindset that allows you to do it but talk about the process because i think you know, people show up and they have a new program in their folder and most people don't even care like where it comes from or how it comes from it. For me, I appreciate the differences and nuance to it. Talk to me about, you know, the skill set required. It's almost like being able to write code on a computer in a different way. So yeah. how do you go about a process of writing a program specific for the client in front of you uh, versus like just having a workout that everybody does? Sure.
1: Yeah. The uh, There's a lot of things that we take into consideration for programming. Uh, we recently put an article up of like twenty considerations that end up being, but twenty different things that ultimately we would try to take into consideration in developing a program for a client. And then there's uh, there's like the basics of: Do you have pain? If you do, what can't you do? Um, if you can't do it, should you go see somebody, um, or is it something we could work around? Um,
0: So let's talk about someone that's got a shoulder injury and they, you know, have trouble getting their arm overhead. How does that affect what you do with their programming?
1: Yeah, so we, I mean, at at its base level, we just wouldn't be doing things overhead in a scenario like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So in our assessment, we'll go through a bunch of different movements. First, we'll kind of, we'll check out their joint range of motion if we find it necessary. And we kind of wait to see the vibe that we get from the client. Is it someone that if we check their range of motion, um, they're going to have appreciation for that and they're going to like to know that we took a look at that um, let me just
0: interrupt you your assessment don't breeze by it you would spend an hour with each and that's another thing you know i know you guys would never claim and don't claim to be doctors of, of any sort however we're doctors quote unquote in the office i use air quotes and most of the assessments that we do in here you're actually doing yourself without diagnosing pain so The process is very, very thorough with a new client. It's not just like, hey, come in. Do you want to work out? Yeah, here we go.
1: Yeah. Much more to it than that. Yeah. If if you want to customize programs for each client, you definitely need to gather as much information as humanly possible in the assessment. And then that takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. And then from there, uh, a lot of the difficulties in programming is making sure it's something that the client finds intriguing enough uh, to want to continue to do it, Um, you know, so getting compliance from the client becomes somewhat of a more difficult issue in programming than uh, the logistics of keeping them in uh, with safe exercises and giving them the appropriate amount of fitness versus health type training over the course of a program. Um, But, yeah, the assessment, what we'll do first is, you know, they'll get a questionnaire, they'll answer some questions, and then, like, we'll throw a couple things in there that are, like, funny so they they don't take themselves so (laughs) seriously when they come in. And then uh, the biggest thing that we're looking at is like, do you have pain? Have you had injuries? Um, we don't necessarily want to make that a big deal to the client. We don't want them to be paranoid necessarily. But if they do have pain or have had injuries, then let's you know let's see what uh, what modifications that we need to make in a program uh, because of that. You know, so the shoulder example, at some point in time over the course of your assessment, you're going to do pushups. You know, and that's what I'm interested in seeing is like. If, if they can't, number one, going back to the joint range of motion test, if they can't lie on their back and get their arms overhead and shoulder flex to 170 degrees, then we're not going to overhead press them. And that's perfectly fine. And that tends to be the case in like 85% of clients. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, not to be overly conservative, but like overhead pressing isn't necessarily the most common exercise in our gym. Um, and we, we haven't had, we've had people with shoulder issues um, that, are perfectly fine pressing on angles that don't go overhead and if that's the if that's the case then we don't overhead press them uh, in certain circumstances when they do bring their arm overhead uh, or they press overhead they do feel pain so the obvious answer is don't do it mm-hmm. um, so if they can't get into certain positions when we check their joint range of motion then we avoid certain exercises um, and then over the course of the assessment, we'll take them through nine different exercises. We'll get their heart rate up and introduce them to some of the cardio equipment. And then we'll go through like the six basic movement patterns. And then I'm interested to see on, uh, you know, if they do a TRX row or a dumbbell row or a uh, push-up with hands elevated, if they feel pain on that. Mm-hmm. Because then I'm like, you know what, this is this is bigger just like you can't get your arm overhead and your shoulder hurts Mm -hmm. Um, now is it a technical thing like can we fix your position on push-ups to not have you feel the pain Um, can we slow down the tempo can we do really slow lowering on it can we have you hold isometrics Uh, and these are just like regressions or modifications to the exercise that we can make that we need to know in developing a program for this person Um, so Long story short, if that person does feel pain in all of these movement patterns, uh, we probably need to eliminate that movement pattern altogether. Um, and if it's someone who feels shoulder pain when they uh, bring their arms overhead, lying on the ground, uh, and when they do push-ups, and let's say if they do TRS rows, like all upper body exercise variations, then it's probably somebody that needs to go see somebody mm-hmm. because that's, uh, that's a rare circumstance. And if that is the case, then they probably need to go see a medical professional.
0: Well, I think the the point of most of our audience, the, and I and I'm not joking when I say this, will have no clue what you're talking about, and that's the point. And that I think again, fit people understand when you go to the doctor. Hopefully, they're going to do an assessment. But quite frankly, and not being not joking at all, the assessment that you guys do is better than ninety five percent of the doctors that they'll go to anyway. But, and I think in a place like yours, what's important to note is that people come there and, and, you know, listen, anyone over the age of 30 probably has something wrong with them and that they just won't be thrown to the wolves. And I often wonder how many people don't ever show up to a place like your gym because they're like, I can't do that, I'm hurt, or I've been injured because they think that they can't do it when, you know, what I want people to understand and realize about what you're just saying is the amount of thought that goes into not only assessment, but the programming around it, I mean, I, I myself, you know, that this stuff that I've had and, and I'm often would question going into some gyms being thinking to myself, like, well, are they going to make me do this? Do they have an alternative? Will I will I know, you know, if what I'm doing is going to hurt me? But what you guys really do is take the time to actually think through what someone can and can't do and then try and get them both to what you're saying, like a movement goal, but also a fitness goal. And sometimes the two are challenging to to go through with. Um, when you're doing your program, the other part that I always find interesting is generally speaking, no matter what everyone's doing, it ends in an hour. Is that, is that hard to do sometimes? Yes,
1: Yes, definitely, especially in going just by sets and reps. But uh, you have an idea as to which clients like to take a little bit more rest time, which clients like to talk a little bit more, which clients show up late. (laughs) Um, So like at one point in time, like I would just do, let's say when when we first started semi-private, everybody was given sets and reps. Mm -hmm. And then it was just a linear progression of like, let's increase workload over the course of the program. And then time became an issue at some point. So we started giving more time sets where you still have a superset or a triset, two or three exercises at a time, and you have a ten to twelve minute cap to perform as much work as you can. Yeah. Um, and then in a circumstance like that, we could guess that you know if we give you forty-six to forty-eight minutes of total work over the course of a sixty-minute session with your little water breaks and a couple conversations and the warm-up, then you're going to be done around about an hour. Right. Um, so some people. And this is not taking into consideration what they're actually motivated by, whether it be time or sets and reps. Um, but some people, you know, you give them uh, you give them sets and reps, and you, you see that they don't respond well to it by they take too many breaks mm-hmm. or they do it too quickly um, because we're not necessarily able to adequately load them yet to a point that they need rest. Yeah. You know, uh, at some point we'd like to load them to the point that, you know, they need to take a little bit of a breather before transitioning to the exercises. But at the same time, we don't want them needing four minutes of rest yeah. in between two non-conflicting exercises. Um, so yeah, it, it definitely takes time to get good at it. Um, and actually, uh, a couple of the guys this weekend, I was supposed to go away, but I ended up not feeling good. Um, but a couple of the guys wrote some programs this weekend. And that was the first thing that I looked at and seeing the new programs is like did the times match up and then that, like we talked about it and like i think they'll they'll realize that that's way more challenging than they than they yeah. actually would think of it but they haven't written as many programs at this point right to know that two 12 minute tri-sets plus three five minute cardio bouts won't necessarily equate to the hour for that person right you know? so right. there are little things like that that you need to take into consideration yeah. that are tough to make systematic but uh you know, they need to, once you mess it up a few times, you'll realize the adjustments you need to make.
0: Like most people in this business, you got into it more from a sports performance standpoint and have slowly kind of moved the business to working with adults. Um, have you surprised yourself in that you actually enjoy that the same more, or you still
1: enjoy doing the athletes more than you do working with adults? I definitely enjoy both uh, a good amount. I, I, it is surprising to me how much I enjoy working with adults now. If you were to tell me that four years ago, I wouldn't have believed. What do you that like about the, the adults? Uh, I I guess it's it's the gratification of getting them to their goals. Um, you know, they come more consistently. They come year round, and then they're probably better at letting you know that they're appreciative of what you've done for them um, than athletes. You know, so that part of it. Um, I guess like a, the emotional side of it is yeah. the reason as to why that it's kind of taken uh, a little bit of a turn. Yeah. Um, in terms of appreciating adults more than athletes, um, but I, I love training athletes. I always will. It's like for for the sixty minutes with athletes, you know, you get to yell a little bit more. <laughs> you know, you, you joke around. Uh, you know, when they when they compete, you know, you get to congratulate the winners. And you get to mess around with the losers of of a particular competition. You know, and it just, you create a fun environment, you know. Um, But
0: you also have that with the adults now. And then in the model that you have, that semi-private, there is that community feel that, you know, you've done a good job of building. Um, You know, when Del first moved here to move in with me before we got married, her, um, the first kind of interaction, she didn't know anyone here. And the first interaction she had socially was at the gym. Cause she didn't know anyone. And it was like, after a few weeks of being at the gym, she came home and said, this is exactly what I was looking for, and exactly what I needed. Right. And so it was, it's a nice way where at some point, you know, that's always been the thing in CrossFit that they've done well is a community aspect of it. And you can't get that in personal training. And so I think, you know, you've done a good job of building that as well. But when you go to school for exercise science, you never think like, oh, I have to build a community, right? It's not something that's important to the oh, gym, yeah. but it is super important. Yeah.
1: right? I remember when we first started, um, I, I say we automatically now, but when, when prep Performance first started, it was just me. And I remember watching the news in the morning to try to have something to talk about with the adult mm-hmm. demographic i was like i didn't really you know i wouldn't it was difficult for me to hit it off with six people all at once yes so i would watch the news and like bring up topics and then again you learn by mistakes sometimes you bring up the wrong thing you know you learn not to talk about politics really quickly uh in a group of six people you went to college and it took you that long to learn? <laughs> <laughs> um you know but you, you mentioned it it, it usually ends up turning political, the conversation. Like you talk about the weather and then it's like, oh, you know, those Republicans like, oh, jeez, how did we get here? I, I didn't mean for that to happen. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, well, the uh, the adults I think hit it off really well and you don't have to communicate with everybody within the session. So we do, we categorize some of the clients of like who's social and who isn't. If you're not social, it's fine. You know, if you like getting your work, going off in the corner, doing your stuff, um, coming back to the trainer, getting the new set of instructions, ask your questions, and only engaging with the trainer, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. They, we've been able to fit those people in. At first, we were nervous that those people who weren't socially interactive were going to be turned off by the environment, but it's never been the case. Right. Um, whereas the other people that are social together... They seem to hit it off, and they joke around, and you know they like integrating the social aspect into their training session. So we've been able to do a, you know, to each their own type of deal when it comes to socializing within a session um, and building a, a good community uh, of both people who who don't like to interact with a lot of people while they're training and people who do. Uh, but what's more important than that is that we're the common denominator of people that they trust and they they know. They trust us and they enjoy socializing with us mm-hmm. regardless of whether they enjoy socializing with each other.
0: Very good. Uh, so I want to transition to athletes. Hannah, you're going to record this? Mm-hmm. Okay. So this month we're talking about on our Instagram about kids going back in their spring sports. Now, one of the biggest issues for you from a business perspective, but more importantly, from, a, from the kids' perspective of being an athlete and getting into in-season training, most of them don't do anything. And... What I want you to talk about a little bit is the value of someone at least kind of not losing ground. They've gained so much and either whether it's the summer, but here all winter, and then you don't see them for three or four months. And a lot of times you kind of have to start over. So talk to the audience a little bit about if it's a kid, if it's an athlete or it's their parent, about the value of not training as much as they did in the off season, but still maintaining some level in the gym during the season,
1: yeah, the we the luxury of what we do is that we record the progress of the athletes, as in, and the strength numbers are all written down. So we've seen athletes that over the course of six months will make incredible gains, especially in their strength numbers. And then our key performance indicators are primarily speed related. So we'll you know we'll do their five ten five agility, we'll track their tens twenties and their vertical jump, and everything will be moving in the right direction they'll come back in three and a half months after their season and everything's dipped significantly. Um, And then there's been a lot of circumstances like that. I'd say the majority of athletes end up doing that. And there's uh, the few athletes who decide to continue training in season and they come one to two days per week. We disclude them from the speed portion of the sessions because they're running and jumping so much in their sport, depending on their sport. Uh, And they just do the strength training. And those athletes tend to stay right where they were the whole season. So when the off-season comes back, we can now hit the ground running from where they left off as opposed to losing the ground that they potentially did in doing zero strength training over the course of three to three and a half months. Right. So it's critical. I, I think it's critical that athletes do still train in season. And I'll tell the parents uh, in our initial consultation and assessment, it's like, I don't care if it's here or not. I was like, but... I think you should invest maybe 100, 150 bucks in some dumbbells, and I'll give you a 20-minute workout to do twice a week at home. Like I, I don't, this isn't financially driven for me. The athlete needs to do something in season. Um, if they're not doing it with their team, if they're not doing it here, they should do it at home, 20 minutes, two to three days a week. And and I try very hard to get athletes to buy into that. So when they come back, we start progressing from where they left off, as opposed to spending the first month or so trying to get them back to where they were before they left.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, that's it's an important message I can remember. I, I don't know if I ever followed that advice as an athlete. It, it's hard. It's easier said than done. You're playing a sport. You're in school. You come home. You have homework. It's 7 o'clock at night. I mean, who wants to work out? I mean, it's 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 very, very easy to, be, to be say. Very hard to get done.
1: Yeah, I, I distinctly remember two seasons on both of those ends of the spectrum where – uh, in college, my sophomore year, um, I did not do any strength training at all in season. And I remember seeing a picture of myself at the end of uh, of that football season. And I was like, I just look weak. I, like, I don't look anything like what I did 12 weeks ago when the mm-hmm. season started. And then because of that, definitely bought in more junior and senior year and was able to hold on and at least not be so visibly weak as opposed to what happened over the course of my sophomore year. Um, but I, I think it's critical and uh, I don't I don't think that enough athletes know the value of minimum dosage when it comes to strength training. You know, and that they think that when they go in the weight room, that means let's do a lot, let's uh let's do a ton of lifting to get stronger. And if you're not doing that, then you might as well do nothing. Right. Um whereas if you're talking about an in season training model or even an athlete who's just starting resistance training in general, um, doing very little can go very far, mm-hmm. you know? And again, letting the parents and the athletes know in an assessment, like 20 minutes twice a week, 40 minutes total a week can go a very long way yeah. if it's appropriately programmed with the appropriate intensities. Uh, but yeah, getting them to buy into that is, it's, it's very challenging. And again, like you said, schoolwork, piano lessons, uh, you know, the whole nine of, of, you know, the list of things that kids need to do these days. Which, you know, by the way, I, I didn't realize how much homework kids have now. Yeah. Back in the right? day when I went to high school <laughs> I got by with like seventeen minutes of homework a night from what I remember. So <laughs> That's why you are where you are too. Yep, today. yep, exactly. That's why, <laughs> I'm That's why you're accountant. just a trainer. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: let's go back and last thing, if I'm out there, I'm thirty 35, 40 years old, I've never really worked out, I'm intimidated about coming to maybe a gym or, or I'm thinking about doing something. What message would you have for them? Why Why might someone out there be successful or at least give somewhere, in the, somewhere like Pratt Performance a shot?
1: Yeah, I'd say, I'd say at least try things out. And that's like the first step of courage is necessary, you know. Um, you have to be willing to try something um, to figure out if it's a good fit for you. Now, when it comes to fitness, I've never had a circumstance where someone came in and I said, we can't work with you. This isn't a good fit. That's literally happened zero times. Um, and you know, you know the amount of clients that we have now, and we've done even more assessments on more people who ended up not converting. But there's never been a circumstance where I've said you can't do fitness, sure. or fitness is unsafe for you. Right. Um, so that being said, there's something for everybody. I think, I think everybody should have a program that's best fit for them. Um, you know, so if you're to if you're to come try Pratt Performance, you get an assessment. Come in for the assessment. You get a two week trial. You try out six sessions. Free trial. Free trial. Yeah. And after six sessions, if it's not for you, you don't have to sign up. Um, and, you know, if you don't like the price point, at least you have some ideas as to what you could do going sure. forward on your own. You right. know, and I think that's equally as valuable as signing up for a gym. And, you know, we'll tell you what, you know, there's certain things that you should probably stay away from. Like right now, you might not be in a position that you should be doing lunges mm-hmm. for X reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, insert exercise and insert reason that can really apply for anything. Sure. Um, so I think there's, a, I think for the average person that is scared to go to the gym or feels like they can't do it, that's completely all in your head. There's something you could do and it probably isn't what you're seeing that makes you fear fitness altogether right now, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. So it, working out might not be what you perceive it to be, um it may be made way less intimidating than uh, than you imagine.
0: Yeah, and I think it's, it's like you just said, from your perspective on the assessment um, and also as far as putting someone through a program, it's really no-lose. Like if they don't want to do it, they don't have to. At least they might learn a little bit of something. And if they did take it on their own um, to do it, for themselves. They learn something there. Now, what I would say is, and I've told many people this, I don't go to Pratt. I'm a, you know, I'm a paying member of your gym and I don't go because I, for a lack of knowledge, like I could write a program myself. I do it for other reasons because I knew that I needed to get out of my own way because I wasn't going to do it on my own. So everyone is there for a different reason. And that's what I often encourage people is a lot of people just often Don't aren't real with themselves. Like, I know what I'm doing, I don't need a trainer. Okay, then go to the gym yourself and do it. Most people don't. For me, it was I could write a program, I could coach myself, I don't need technique help most of the time, but I also knew that if I was on my own, I wouldn't train nearly as hard, I wouldn't be accountable, and I probably wouldn't show up nearly as much. So I think everyone just out there, um, you know, I preach the message of fitness just as much as a trainer would. And I think to be honest with yourself and figure out what you actually need to get you to get you going is is super important. And I wonder, you know, how many things that I see in my office from people that are 55 that might need a hip replacement or that might need rotator cuff surgery that if they would have found a, Place Like Pratt performance 25 years earlier or a year earlier or five years earlier and they started working on their range of motion and Strengthening if they never would have been in the situation that they're in So that's why I call good training good fitness like at your place Pratt performance that really truly is the first step of primary care Um, so you know, I certainly appreciate what you're done, what we've done for me, what we've done for my dad, what you've done for Dell. As you've seen, we've we've brought everyone over to you. And guys, if you're out there and you're live in Warren, Basking Ridge, Berkeley, uh, where else are you? Warren, Basking Ridge, Martinsville area, and you're looking for a gym, come and try Prop Performance. You know, I'm there, my family's there, and I and I certainly recommend it. And. Uh, James, I appreciate you being on.
1: Yeah, thank you. Just come in and say Dr. Rabinowitz, and you'll get the VIP treatment. All right. (laughs) Sounds good,
0: guys. Dr. Rabinowitz, and you get VIP treatment. I don't know what that is. I'm scared. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Thanks, Doc. Yep.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast, brought to you by Strive to Move. If your pain or injury is preventing you from living the healthy and active lifestyle you love and deserve, and want to get back to doing what you love pain-free, we offer both a free ebook and free over-the-phone consultation to help you figure out the root cause of your pain and the best next steps to help resolve it. Find our ebooks online at strivetomove.com/slash our services. There you'll find an ebook for topics on such things as back pain, knee pain, sports injuries, and crossfit injuries. These ebooks will provide you with free expert advice, tips, and exercises to help solve your pain from the comfort of your own home. Just visit strive to move.com slash our services to download your ebook and have it delivered directly to your inbox. We also offer free no obligation phone consults with a doctor on staff to New Jersey residents. Just call us at 908-547-0729 or visit us at strive to move.com and click the Talk to the Doctor First button on the homepage to schedule a call with us. Thanks again for joining us, and we will see you next time on the Stay Healthy
1: New Jersey podcast.